I'm learning that if I pay attention, if I live my life with my eyes much more wide open or I'm willing to live wide awake, spiritual truth often comes to me in places I don't expect. We've just seen and heard that attested to this morning in the last few moments. It often opens up for me a whole new way of seeing life and a whole, new way, a whole, whole new way of understanding Jesus and my spiritual journey. So case in point, this past Thursday we had our monthly couples tune-up gathering. This is just a simple monthly gathering where I invite couples to come and learn and talk about practices and skills that can help improve our relationships. And We had about 20 or so folks that we've had at each gathering, and I'm sure we're learning a lot, and Lynn and I are confessing a lot, and it keeps us honest at least, and so... We go back home and we say, wow, we really owned up to that. What are we going to do now, you know? This past Thursday, we talked about how, our, about how we try to emotionally connect with one another. And by the way, I know you're thinking, so where is this going? I'm wondering the same thing, but it'll get there, okay? We talked about how we emotionally connect with one another. In our relationships, we give out cues that we're seeking emotional connection with the other. Gestures, actions, comments, possibly a look. And for some of you who are a little bit more uh, just to the point, some of you would just say, hey, I need to emotionally connect, and that's valid as well. But we send out signals that would like to connect with our partner. Now, here's the crux of it. When we receive these signals and cues, we have three ways that we we can respond. Two that are good, and one really, two that are not so good, excuse me, and one that is really pretty good. These are the three ways we can turn against. In turning against, you respond to your partner's cues and invitations with hostility, argumentation, negativity. It's essentially rejecting this invitation to emotionally connect and with some hostility. Sometimes we turn away, which is basically to ignore your partner's cues and invitations. It can be intentional. It can be due to mindlessness, distracted self. It can be that you're just withdrawing out of anger. The best example I give, which I think that turning away is the, usual, is the most usual, is you know, spouse, and I gave this example Thursday night, sits down or Linda sits down on the couch, and I gave a lot of examples of Linda sitting down on the couch trying to get my attention. That should tell you something. <laughs> Linda sits on the couch, and she starts telling me about work. If I'm turning against, I would turn to her and say, you know, all you ever do is just talk about work, work, work. Can you talk about something else for a change? To turn away, I would just have the remote, and I'd be clicking at the TV going, uh-huh, mm-hmm, yeah, that's good, yeah, I'll pick the kids up after school. So, And the kids aren't even home anymore. <laughs> See, you got it, didn't you? What they say is to turn towards your partner, though, is to express empathy, support, and a willingness to connect, to validate the other's presence, while at the same time expressing your willingness to connect with where they are. It's, in many ways, a very significant act and expression of love. So our partner sends out these emotional cues, and we can either turn against, turn away, or turn towards. Now, I kept thinking about this and thinking about this and reflecting on this, and I reflected on Jesus' journey. And his last days leading up to his death, and I reflected on how his last days, he really turned towards everyone. The disciples, the religious authorities, the political authorities, and even his enemies, Jesus could have turned against. He could have turned away. But in his final days, Jesus turned towards everyone. He turned towards the whole world. 
He offered his heart and his presence and his life. And I, I thought about three scenes in his life. The first one being this Last Supper that Hannah read about. This most familiar scene. It's during this meal that Jesus bows at the feet of his disciples. This great act of humility and servanthood, washing their feet. In that culture, washing of the feet was reserved for the person who was lowest on the, on, on, on the hierarchy, if you will. Those without power. They washed the feet of those with power. And in that single act, Jesus redefined what it meant to be a disciple. He redefined what it meant to live as one who seeks to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. He redefined the true nature of servanthood and the necessity of humility. And then he says this, I give you this commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, so you must also love each other. This is is how everyone will know you're my disciples, when you love each other. In this moment, now think about this, for me at least, when Jesus could have been plotting with his followers to overthrow an occupying government, he offers an alternative to overthrow the powers of the world through servanthood, through the power of love, through the power of humble service. And then you have this scene, the triumphal entry, which Palm Sunday is often about. More than a charming parade with Jesus on a donkey and children waving palm branches, it's this intentional alternative to this other parade that's being held across town. Historians will say that at that time, it was the practice of the Romans to hold a parade during Passover, which Jerusalem was packed with people. And so the Romans would march in with their chariots and their rows upon rows of soldiers and all of their military regalia and their, and their spears and their swords. It was this show of force and it was a show of power. It was the ultimate for what we know as Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. That's how Rome kept the peace, was through intimidation and fear. It really communicated like an old Western, everyone just behave around here and no one gets hurt. It was this ultimate invitation to put your allegiance and trust in violence and military might and intimidation. But across town, you got this other parade going on. You got a guy on a donkey with no chariots or army. You got children waving palm branches and yelling Hosanna, which means praise or joy. And as Jesus rides in, Luke records the disciples saying, Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. This is the message. If you will, there's a new king in town. There's a new reality that invites our allegiance. It's a new kingdom. It's a way of peace and not violence. It's a way of peace and not intimidation and fear. Jesus turns toward all of humanity and says, I offer you a different way of entering this world, and it's this way of peace. This familiar scene, the final one, that Hannah also read about, Jesus on the cross, breathing in his last breath. His time is coming to an end. He's been humiliated, beaten, flogged, ridiculed, scorned, rejected, forgotten. This is the perfect reason, the perfect reason to turn against those in front of them, to curse, to hate, to find ways to get vengeance. But Jesus offers these words, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There was an interesting story on 60 Minutes a couple weeks ago. Maybe some of you caught it. They interviewed two or three death row inmates in Texas who knew that they only had maybe two or three weeks before they were to be executed. They're, uh, they're, uh, they had either signed the paper saying go ahead with it or their time had run out and no more appeals and they knew it was going to happen. 
It was a very interesting interview, but at least to one or two of them, there was one person who just, at least for him, was never willing to accept any kind of responsibility for what he did. No matter how one believes about capital punishment, he just could not accept responsibility. Everyone else had a part in it, and everyone else had something to blame. And then there was animosity, and there was frustration, there was sadness, there was anger, there was resignation, there was despair. But never once did I hear any one of them say, let's just forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Jesus, in his moment of execution, chooses to say, forgive them, for they know not what they do, as he turns toward the world. These three scenes, not the only three ways, but three significant ways in the last days of Jesus. Jesus turning towards his disciples in love and servanthood. He turns toward them in humility. He turns toward them in service. So as I look at these three scenes, I think about our lives and your life. The Last Supper. What does it look like for you and I to turn towards one another in love and servanthood? What does it look like for you and I to turn towards one another in humility and service? What does it look like for us as a faith community, a local congregation, to turn towards our community with love in servanthood and humility and in service? Maybe there's those within our families that need us to turn toward them in love and servanthood and humility. And whoever we turn towards, we're reminded that this clearest mark of a self-identified follower of Jesus and a Christian is love. As Jesus said, they'll know we are Jesus' disciples by how we love each other, not by how big our Bibles are or what version we use or what theological statements or creeds we believe or how loud we protest. Jesus says, they'll know you're my disciples by one mark, by how you love and serve others, by how you turn towards others and face them maybe even kneeling before them in a posture of servanthood and say, what can I do for you? Jesus turned towards the world in peace and offered us an alternative way of viewing the world. Again, the triumphal entry. Rather than building our sense of security on power and domination, we're invited to follow a king who's the prince of peace, who, whose reign is marked by peacemaking and nonviolence. We're invited to offer our praises and hosannas to this king and not to political entities and persons that purport to be kings and whose personal kingdoms invite our allegiance. We're invited to a whole another kingdom. And when we're able to do this, we turn towards the world in peace. We become this manifestation of peacemakers. We tear down walls of hostility. We heal divisions. We seek reconciliation. We put our faith in nonviolent ways. And we no longer being ruled by fear of the other, but we seek to love the other as we seek to understand them. Idealistic? Probably. Realistic? I don't know, but maybe, just maybe, we often base our hopes too much on what's realistic and pragmatic rather than on what's possible if we just dream and imagine it differently. Sometimes I can be guilty of looking at the message of Jesus, his alternative way of thinking, and just saying to myself deep within, let's just get real. Let's just get real. And then way down on the depths of my soul, I hear Jesus saying, but this is real. This is real. And then I realize maybe I'm the one that's living in an illusion. 
and I have not given enough thought to the way of Jesus and that this might actually work. Jesus turned towards the world and us, and us when he uttered the words, forgive them for they know not what they do. As this alternative to hate, and he offered forgiveness as an alternative to vengeance, he offered forgiveness as this alternative to enemy making, he offered forgiveness, and as an alternative to condemnation, he offered forgiveness. I've shared with a couple of groups already today how this one in particular kept recycling over and over again in my heart this past week. How I realized I often front-loaded my forgiveness with conditions. Especially this, I will forgive you, but I need for you to know what you did to me. I need for you to clearly understand what you did to me. Which really is not my way of getting clarity. It's my way of just making sure that they're shamed just enough. But I never heard Jesus say that. I never heard Jesus say, I'm going to really impress upon you everything that you did to me so that you will feel bad enough about it because then I can feel very righteous about my forgiveness. Jesus just simply said, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. Then I think maybe that's where the words come in. It's finished. Let it go. I now release this world to the hands of a loving God who can transform and renew and recycle all this hate and vengeance and violence. Brian Zahn writes this. When Jesus prayed from the cross, Father, forgive them, he overcame evil with good. When God came to us in the form of Jesus, this is God turning toward us in love. God didn't turn away or turn against. God turned towards. During Jesus' three-year ministry, Jesus turned towards everyone. Even those who opposed to him, he turned towards them in love and mercy and peace. And these were just the three scenes in Jesus' life. You and I, every day, we have scenes that get played out in our life. Scenes where we have the choice to either turn against, to turn away, or to turn towards. And when we turn towards the one who is life, we end up turning towards others with life. When we serve and humble ourselves, when we come as peacemakers, when we forgive, offer reconciliation, when we offer acts of service and overcome evil with good, we turn towards others with life. That's how that spoke to me this past week. That's where I began to really think about how Jesus really invites us into relationship with him and with the world. To not live at a distance, to not live disconnected, but to connect with one another, to connect with God and to connect with each other. And all that has to do with how I position myself in this world. Either turning against and this is all I will say, all I will say, over the next few months about it because I try to be very clear it's your business not mine but you will have enough messages from here on in until November 2nd is it November 2nd? until November as to who to turn against you will have enough messages it will be vigilance every day it will be for me to determine I'm not going to turn against I'm not going to turn away I'm going to turn towards. I'm going to face 
of compassion and empathy and understanding and love, not because that's just a really cool way to live life, but that's because that's how Jesus invites us into it. That's how Jesus bottom lines it for us. That's how we become human again. I invite us into that.